Today we're kind of wrapping up our series on the light. We've looked at uh, the fact that God is light and the fact that Jesus came to the earth as light. And uh, also we looked at the fact that last week that we as Christians now, Jesus kind of gave us uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, gave us this task of being the light in the world. And that's kind of a, a daunting kind of a reality to have that kind of responsibility. I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes that can be a rather uh, sobering reality. When I was looking into um, some illustrations for the sermon today, I came across the story of a girl whose Sunday school teacher um, went through this kind of illustration of we're supposed to be the light to the world. And afterwards, she was kind of confused about it. She went to her mother and said, hey, mom, I don't really understand this. What does it mean that we're supposed to be the light to the world? And her mother explained to her that as Christians, we're supposed to go out into our community and love on them the way that Jesus loves on us. And that if we do that in a really good and powerful way, then they will come to understand that God loves them just as much as he loves us. Cool. She got it. The very next Sunday... The mother was actually pulled out of service to go into the Sunday school classroom because this same little girl was in a bit of a tiff with one of her friends. The mother was shocked, scared, like she didn't understand what was going on. She pulled her to the side and said, I, just, I don't get it. We just talked about this last week about how we're, you're supposed to be the light um, to the world and to our friends and everyone around us so that they can come to understand Jesus better. And she just responded with... Mom, I just, I didn't want to be the light today, so I blowed myself out. <laughs> can you relate? Yeah, I can relate. Uh, I can relate as well. In my own walk, it's uh, become very apparent to me and how important it is that living out being the light to the world is something that we as Christians really need to get right. There have been times in my own life where I've come that close to forgetting about God altogether because of the way that Christians acted. And it's also because of the way that Christians act, being the light to the world, that makes me even stand up here today. Right over here, in this section of the church, circa 2000, when somebody welcomed me with a hug and told me that God loved me. That was the light. That was a Christian being the light, even though she knew my circumstances, knew kind of how messed up life was for me at the time. She had to remind me and did remind me that God still loved me. Now, on the one hand, this idea of being a light to the world, we are a light to the world, can be kind of an awesome idea. It can kind of pump us up and make us feel good about ourselves. But on the other hand, sometimes we want to just blow our lights out like that little girl, and we don't want to have anything to do with it. This is where I want us to go today, especially on a day like G-City. We all need to make sure that we're reminding ourselves that being a light in our, to our community and to our world isn't always going to be an easy prospect. We're not always going to wake up with the right attitude. We're not always even going to think that we're equipped or able to do it. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, uh, please, to uh, Philippians chapter 2. 
and we're going to start reading in verse 12. If you don't have your Bibles, you can take out your tablets or your phones, go to mygrace.church, and the scripture is there as well, or you can go ahead and read it up on the screen. This is in the uh, message uh, paraphrase. What I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night so all have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing. Even if I'm executed here and now, I'll rejoice in being an element in the offering of your faith that you make on Christ's altar. A part of your rejoicing. But turnabout's fair play. You must join me in my rejoicing. Whatever you do, don't feel sorry for me. Father God, may the words from my lips, meditations of my heart and mind serve to only bring to you these people this morning and those listening online, what you would have for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, today, we're going to look at a few things. We're going to look at what being a light into our world means. It means that we need to understand that we're a work in progress. It means that we need to understand that we're a light in darkness. And it also means that we need to understand that we are God's treasure. To be the light of the world, our big idea for the day, to be the light of the world, we must unite our efforts and purpose with God's. To be the light of the world, we must unite our efforts and purpose with God's. Being the light of the world is a cooperative effort between God and ourselves. So the first thing we need to come to terms with here, God is continuing his work in you. Now, if anybody understands what work in progress is, uh, I think if you've lived in Tucson long enough, you would understand what constant working in progress is with all the construction going around in our city. I think we're still about 10 or 15 years behind infrastructure for the uh, population of uh, the greater Tucson area. And of course, those of us here on La Troya know construction all too well. It seems like this construction is just never going to end. But we know that it will end one day. But even when that construction ends, we know that just a block down the road, they're going to start tearing up that road, right? Works in progress. What we need to realize as Christians is that we are a work in progress. When we constantly compare ourselves to that other family that's more spiritual than us, or we could never be as good as that pastor up on the stage, we're doing ourselves a spiritual disservice. 
in the Wesleyan traditions, uh, they express God's grace in three distinct ways, and I really like how they do this. One um, is the grace to even come to realize that there is a God. Okay, they call that the uh, prevenient grace, the grace that's there that even allows us to get to the point of accepting that there's a God. Then there's the grace of justification. When you decide you want to become a Christian, right there, boom, God justifies you, Christian, sins are forgiven. But then they have this third expression of grace, which is the grace of sanctification. And it's this idea and understanding that, yes, we are justified, and yes, God has done all that God needs to do um, to offer us our salvation, but we're going to spend the rest of our Christian walk working out sanctification. I think that's what Paul is trying to get at when he says here, um, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. He mentions how they had always followed his instructions, but what kind of instructions is he talking about? Whenever Paul talks about following instructions or obedience to his teachings, he's actually talking about instructions about Christ. For Paul, faith in Christ is ultimately expressed as obedience to Christ. For Paul, faith in Christ is ultimately expressed as obedience to Christ. This is the only type of instruction that Paul is ever concerned about. What good is proclaiming our faith if we have no interest in being obedient to it? He commends them for following his instructions when he's with them, but he says that it's even more important that they follow those instructions while he's away. And he kind of takes it a step further by telling them to work hard to show the results of their salvation. The New Living Translation says uh, to work out your salvation. Now, he's not talking about earning your salvation or faith and works kind of, kind of thing. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Um, he's not talking about earning it. Um, rather, Paul's talking about living out our salvation. He's talking about walking the talk. He's talking about living out the difference and the transformation that Christ has already done in our lives. For many of us, this seems like it can be a tall thing to accomplish. But Paul gives us some very good news here. He says that God is working in us, giving us the desire and power to do what pleases him. I think we can all take comfort in this. The power of God living in us is what enables us to live out this faith. The idea that Paul is expressing here is not that God is doing the work for us, but he empowers us by enabling us to live out our faith. Not just the power to do it, but also the desire to do it. So God is working in us constantly. Thankfully, he's a patient God. One of the things about God is that he's patient with us even when we can't be patient with ourselves or with our family around us, friends around us. Romans 9, uh, verse 22 says, In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who were made for destruction. I don't really like that last part. We serve a righteous and holy God. Yes. 
but we also serve a patient God. We serve a forgiving God, a merciful God, and God realizes that we are all imperfect. But he wants us to be holy, while at the same time knowing that we're going to fail. He's not only the God of a second chance, or a third chance, or a fourth chance, or a fifth chance, sixth chance, seventh chance. He's a God who forgives 70 times 7. God is patient with us, gives us this patience, because he has this huge purpose for us. So our next point. Our purpose, as we've uncovered these last few weeks, is to be a light in the darkness. Have you ever had the experience that when someone that you've recently met, um, or maybe even known for a long time, and you uh, recently became a Christian, once they find out that you're a Christian, they start treating you differently, right? It's one of the reasons why a lot of times when I'm out and about meeting new people and they don't know what I do for a living, I really hesitate saying that I'm a youth pastor or that I'm a pastor because immediately walls are going to go up. Immediately they're going to think that they have to start acting differently because they're in the presence of some glorious holy man. (laughs) He has a glorious and holy beard, but he's not really a glorious (laughs) and holy man. (laughs) Thanks, Becca. Um, (laughs) um, They start treating you differently. I, I'm, I'm more uh, uh, willing sometimes just to tell people, like, uh, I'm a teacher. I teach for a living. Because I don't want those walls to go up. In fact, a lot of people that aren't believers sometimes want to purposely look for a Christian to fail. I think this is why Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Paul says to do this because um, I, think, I think what he's talking about here, what he's referencing, might even go back to Numbers chapter 14 with the Israelites, kind of grumbling and complaining um, about God. The people, uh, the Israelites, were complaining about God, so God told Moses that he was going to destroy them all with a plague. Moses had to plead with God to have mercy on them. Now, this kind of... Um, Uh, complaining, bickering that they were doing uh, is actually translated as a soft, backhanded, behind-the-back murmuring and grumbling. It's the kind of criticism, dissatisfaction, fault-finding gossip that goes on in small cliques of people. I'm sure you've been a part of it yourselves or maybe even been victim of a small group of people talking behind your back. For Paul, complaining and arguing was completely off the table. Complaining and arguing are completely opposite to what Christ's attitude was. And if as believers we're supposed to emulate Christ, then we ourselves have to have the attitude that arguing and complaining can't happen, especially amongst ourselves. Because when we argue and bicker amongst ourselves, it gives people outside the church a really bad impression of us, doesn't it? It's not really the best way to let our light shine like we're supposed to. It hinders the gospel. Unbelievers uh, feel justified when they see us doing this. They feel justified in criticizing Christians. There's, what, 40,000 different Christian denominations, something like that in the world? I guarantee you that the vast, vast, vast majority of those splits 
had nothing to do with big heresies, had nothing to do with huge uh, differences in how they relate to Jesus and what they think Jesus said. It's probably all from a bunch of infighting, small backhanded, behind-the-back grumbling and discontent. So Paul gives us a reason why we shouldn't do these things. He says, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. The reason that we're supposed to live out our faith in front of others and among ourselves is so that we can be blameless in our behavior. Knowing that we're not perfect and that God is still working on us, Paul is basically telling us not to give the world any more ammunition than maybe they already have about us. Christians need to reflect the light of God into this dark world. The church in Philippi needed to fulfill its mission in the world, and it could best do so by being clean and innocent children of God in the middle of the darkness that was around them. The contrast with their culture, so stark that the believers would shine even brighter. They bring the light of truth into darkness of depravity, just like a star lights up the darkness in the night. And just like the church in Philippi, we have been called by God to shine brightly in a world with darkness. Last week, Pastor Dave took us through uh, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. And he uh, specifically mentioned this verse about um, uh, lamps. You are, a light, you are a light of the world. A city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds <clears throat> sorry, shine out for all of those to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We've been called by God to shine. Our purpose is to be a light in the darkness. We've been called by God to let our light shine so that people living in darkness can see the light, can know God truly. We've been called by God to not hide our light, but to shine it. We've been called by God to be luminaries of truth. So, we're a work in progress. We're a light in the darkness. And our last point today is you are a treasure. Paul expresses this to the believers in Philippi, saying, hold firmly to the word of life. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. The Philippian church should hold tightly to the word of life by spreading the truth of the gospel beyond their own walls. To do this, they have to be really, really grounded in that truth, refusing to compromise their faith in any way. When Paul saw that the church uh, was remaining clean and innocent and holding tightly to the truth as they reached out to their depraved world, he would be proud that his work among them was not done in vain and was not made useless. Paul considered it a privilege to die for his faith. And he wanted the Philippians to take the same attitude in the case of his death. Paul understood this treasure that the Philippians carried inside of them. He understood that they, were a, that they had a great treasure inside of their own broken vessels. Uh, 
and they wanted them to treat the treasure in a similar manner. 2 Corinthians 4.7 says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Grace, we may be broken old pots, but we are God's treasure. We may be fragile and decayed by our sin, but we are God's treasure. We may be imperfect and prone to mistakes, but we are God's treasure. Today we're going to go out into our community just like every other fifth Sunday, and hopefully days in between our fifth Sundays. We're going to go out into our community and shine like bright lights in a dark and lost world because we are God's treasure. And we need to let our community around us know that they are God's treasure too. And that God loves them in the exact same way that he loves us. So in conclusion, being the light of the world means uniting our purpose with God's. It means understanding and owning the facts that we are a work in progress. That we are meant to be a light in darkness. And that we are God's treasure. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this day. God, it can be a very humbling, scary prospect to be told that now that, that we're to carry on your work, that, that we are your lights in this world. God, being light in a dark place is a daunting prospect. Sometimes when we feel equipped enough to do it, we can, you know, encourage us. And, uh, and we feel like we can accomplish some of the things that you would put before us. But God, we know that we're, that we're not perfect. Thank you that it's okay that we're not perfect. Thank you that regardless of how many times we may fail or mess up, that you're there for us to forgive us. Thank you that you forgive us 70 times, seven times. God, I just pray over all of us today as we do go out into our community that you give us opportunities to let the light shine. God, we know that it's not because of any hard willpower of our own that it's something we can accomplish, but we know from reading your word today that it's your power in us that even gives us a desire to do it in the first place and the energy to do it. Help us rest on that fact. Now, there might be some of you here today that you're not even there yet. <laughs> There's no way that you can really be a light out in the world because you don't even understand what God's light and forgiveness in your own life has looked like. I want to tell you today that there's no other day like today. If that's you, to take that first step. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, then I just ask you to, in the silence of your heart, just uh, repeat these words after me. Father God, I don't really know what being a light in this world means. I don't really know what you being a light in the world means. But I do know, God, that things aren't going so great right now. I do know that I've been doing things my way. I do know that I haven't been obedient to doing things your way. 
Today, I want that all to stop. From now on, I want to do things your way. I want to actually walk the talk and live out this faith and be a light into my community. God, please forgive me for the way that I've lived my life up until now. And help empower me to be a light to my world. In Jesus' name, amen.